really wanna know, then come on, let's go. Take a stroll down those. What's going on, Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into another edition of the Country Roads webcast, brought to you by Trio 4 Productions. We are the official podcast of Almost Heaven Athletics and AlmostHeavenAthletics.com. Here today to uh, recap the Mountaineers' final regular season game when they take on the Oklahoma Sooners, falling 59 to 56 to finish the season at 8 and 3 overall and 6 and 3 in Big 12 play. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, is Almost Heaven Athletics' own Stephen Vestal. What's going on, Stephen? Uh, doing pretty good. Um, I guess let's uh, talk about this final regular season game, and then uh, let's get into some of these other issues uh, and some of the news that's come out about West Virginia recently, uh, dealing with uh, Jake Spavital and um, a few other things. But uh, first, let's talk about the game. Um, as I mentioned, uh, West Virginia, of course, failed Oklahoma. Uh, great game, shootout, just as we projected on the uh, preview show. Um, opening thoughts about this one? Um, I, I thought it was a great game. Like you said, I thought that we played well. I thought that, um, giving said that, I thought our defense could have done better. Um, but, you know, that's to be expected. Um, no, I thought it was a great game, great atmosphere, uh, one of the best that I've been to uh, while I've had season tickets. Um, I'm sad that we lost, but, uh, like I said, a great game to, to go and watch. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It was a fantastic back-and-forth game. Uh one of the better games I've watched all season throughout all of college football, not just uh, the West Virginia season, even though it didn't turn out the way that, that we hoped, really. But, um, you know, at the same time, it was a disappointing loss. But um, I, I've, been in the, I've been in the mind frame of thinking that, to me, really, the loss to Oklahoma State was uh, a little bit more disappointing than this one, I thought. Uh, didn't you think so? Oh, absolutely. I think going into this game, uh, most people – um, most realistic people, I should say, uh, knew that we would probably uh, expect this outcome. We expected this to see this. Uh, I knew I, I predicted us to win, um, but I, I also expect to see this as well, though. Yeah, it was so, uh, like it was like we mentioned on the preview show. It was going to take a perfect game, and offensively, West Virginia nearly had that perfect game. Um, th- without the two turnovers, you could say that they did, but two turnovers. Uh, kind of cost them, but uh, you know, 704 yards of total offense. Will Greer throws for what, 539 yards. So I mean, offensively they did all they could. Um, you know, defensively West Virginia didn't play good by any means. But that's the crazy thing about this Oklahoma offense, though, is that the defense gave up 45 points. So technically they held Oklahoma four to four to five points below their season average scoring wise defensively. Yeah, and. Uh... I think it's funny that, you know, most most teams that Oklahoma's played this year, given, you know, take away Texas, they've made every team look like that. I've, I, I've been saying it since the, the game on Friday night. Uh, that is probably one of the best uh, and most powerful offenses that I've ever witnessed, not only live, um, but just in general. That, that Kyler Murray is one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player I've ever witnessed. Um, their offensive line is just very stout. It's very, it's very hard to play well against that kind of offense. Um, I thought West Virginia's defense played well all season, 
um, for the most part up until that point. They just made us look like middle school kids. Yeah, I think West Virginia's defense did uh, decent throughout the season. You know, there were some times they excelled, and I think towards the end of the season is when you've seen them struggled struggle rather and that's you know they played two of the better offenses but also I think those injuries came into play later in the season when some of the guys that had to play uh, more than expected and couldn't really take any breaks because of uh, injuries had to you know kind of wore down towards the end of the season but um, you know like you said Kyler Murray's extremely impressive Uh, I thought Hollywood Brown was extremely impressive for Oklahoma it was just you know a back and forth battle um you know, you can look at anything in this game, any any significant, you know, uh, moment and say, I uh, should have done this or should have done that. Um, I've heard people say that West Virginia should have kicked the field goal earlier because they ended up losing by three. But, you know, if West Virginia ends up scoring a touchdown there, it's a completely different scenario. You can look back and, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You can see, say all kinds of things. But um, there is three calls or, well, two calls and one non-call I did want to kind of uh, discuss because I feel like they uh, uh, are probably the most memorable plays in the game, you know, um, and first one was the uh, the call on David Seals that took away West Virginia's uh, touchdown early, uh, called offensive pass interference on what looked to be a pick play. Gary Jenkins had called a touchdown. Uh, that play uh, takes the touchdown away. West Virginia ends up going for it on that fourth down, as I mentioned, doesn't get it, comes away with no points there. Um, what do you think of that call? Did you agree with that call, bad call? I mean, what was – I did not agree with that call. I thought it was a ticky-tack foul. Um, I thought we should have had a touchdown. However, I do feel like the um, as gutsy if, as as Dana has been, you know, fourth down conversions, you know, going for them all season. I think that we should have taken the points uh, in that situation, especially against this type of football team. You do not leave the uh, points on the field against a team like Oklahoma with an offense like theirs. Um, like I said, I, I felt like it was a, you know a bad call. However, uh, you have to be smart in that situation and. And then uh, take the, the points, and I think. Yeah, um, I, I kind of like to play devil's advocate here because I think that um, I don't necessarily think it was a bad call per se, as much as I think that uh, David Seals did a little too much, you know, to, so the, to, where, to the point where they pretty much had to make that call. You know, you've seen West Virginia run pick plays throughout the season. You know, Oklahoma ran a few pick plays in this game. West Virginia ran a few more later uh, that, that weren't called. But I think on that one, David Seals just kind of ran right at the guy. I don't know if he tripped or if he was pushed into and pulled. Um, I've heard a lot of things. But either way, I mean, that guy was so far out of the play, really. I don't feel like David Seals even needed to get in his way. He could have just kind of avoided him, and I think Gary Jennings would have still been wide open for that touchdown. But then, you know, on the other side of that, like you said, um, taking the points. Um, I agree with that. I'm usually, you know, in the, uh, I'm, I'm in the, I'm with you when I think that, you know, especially in the first half of games, uh, you should take the points and, you know, second half, maybe look, start looking to go for it. But then again, also when you know what type of offense you're facing, I can't really, uh, fault Coach Holgers for deciding to go for that. You know, I feel like anytime we cross midfield in that game, uh, he was probably going to go for it on fourth down, just knowing that you almost got to score a touchdown every time you play against, uh, this Oklahoma team. So, um, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, maybe he probably should have taken the points, but then I can see why he didn't at the, at the same time. Right, right. Um, then uh, the next play I want to talk about is a non-call that happened, actually. Uh, I'm sure you probably know where I'm going with this. The, uh, oh, absolutely. The play that uh, knocked Marcus Sims out of the game. Uh, safety from Oklahoma comes down, uh, crown of the helmet, hits Marcus Sims. Marcus Sims out with a concussion. Um, hated to see that, by the way, but uh, hats off to WV's medical staff for not letting him come back in because he was obviously, you could tell he was groggy and uh, probably was concussed there, so hats off to them not letting him come back in. But having said that, you know, when the game is trying to um, 
emphasize targeting and emphasize player safety uh, so much. I don't see how, one, you don't call that a penalty, and two, it should have at least, I mean, been reviewed because to me that's like the textbook definition of, of targeting, it looked like to me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I have been outraged by this call uh, since the moment that it happened, or the non-call, I guess you should say, since the moment it happened because not only did he, he get hit and it, you know, like you said, was the textbook definition of, of targeting and what they've been trying to enforce these past uh, year or two uh, more so. He laid there for the better part of five to ten minutes right. on the field while they had time to do this. So I don't understand um, how you you look at it and you take the time like that and you still don't – not only do you not give a penalty, or not only do you not eject the player, but you don't even give a penalty. Uh, and I think that they came out with um, – and they said that well, the player didn't lunge. Well, it doesn't matter. He didn't have to lunge. The, the rule, by definition, is that you lead with the crown of your helmet, and he did that. Absolutely. To the, to the most dangerous part of the to, uh, to the helmet, I might add, uh, to the lower part of the uh, the jawbone right there where it meets the neck. Um, and then to add to that, I witnessed what looked to be virtually the same type of hit in the LSU and Texas A&M game, and without a hesitation the referees caught a penalty and they eventually ejected that player from the game. So I don't understand how you have the same type of play. I mean, I, mean, I guess, you know, you have different refs in different games. You can make that argument, but without the penalty being caught alone, you have to make that call in terms of player safety, because now the defender for uh, Oklahoma is either thinking one of two things. He's either thinking that it's legal and that he can do it, or he's thinking that he can get away with it and that he can still do it. So either way, you're ending up with a bad situation, and that player is probably going to injure someone further and more serious down the line somewhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it was a it was a bad non-call. I've under I can understand sometimes, uh, you know, if it's he, if it's helmet to helmet and the and the runner's kind of going to the ground or lower, and the guy has to go lower to tackle him, their helmets collide. That's one thing, but. This Marcus Sims was standing straight up. This guy was coming straight up and, uh, you know, maybe didn't launch. But either way, you know, like you said, it's crown the helmet to the head. And I think the big issue to me is uh, the consistency or lack thereof when it comes to these targeting calls. Uh, you've seen some that debatably aren't targeting. They're thrown out of the game. This one clearly targeting, not even a penalty, not even reviewed. So something's got to give there as far as the uh, consistency uh, with the referees making these calls. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that um... – I think the first year you could give them some leeway on, you know, what was a tar- targeting penalty and what wasn't a targeting penalty. But now that we're in uh, year two, uh, almost a year three of this rule, um, if you're a ref at that level, you have to know the rules and what the right call is to make. And that one right there is, um, in my opinion, too blatant to miss. I don't, I don't see how those referees weren't reprimanded by that. Uh, I've said that a couple times this year, so I don't think. Um, <laughs> I sound like a, you know I sound like a broken record saying it over and over and over again, but um, I, I, I just the refs are to a point now to where they're missing the blatantest calls you can find, uh, and now it's to the point to where it's causing injury, and I, I think that at some point you've got to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely, I agree 100. Um, percent uh, Continuing to talk about uh, there's three big calls in this game. Let's talk about the third one that, in my opinion, arguably was the most impactful and uh, the biggest call. Um, uh, most debated uh, and most controversial, possibly, and definitely the one that had the biggest impact on the game. Uh, but that was the um, 
call on TJ Simmons, the excessive blocking out of bounds, I believe is what they called it, or something like something to that extent. But uh, Kennedy McCoy breaks off a big run, uh, 75 yards, I believe it was, down inside the uh, five-yard line. So West Virginia is going to be set up first and goal. Um, moments after, you see the refs throw a flag. Uh, TJ Simmons called for a penalty for blocking a guy out of bounds, um, which, I mean, I, I, I'm on I'm on the fence about it in some ways, but then again, it goes back to consistency for me because, you know, after the TCU game, there was a viral video of T.J. Simmons doing something very similar against TCU, blocking a guy all the way through the end zone up against the wall near the student section. Uh, referee comes, separates him, but no flag thrown there. And um, to me, it's kind of an issue of you're always taught to play till the whistle, uh, you finish your block through the whistle, just don't hit nobody after the whistle. So, I don't know because it, it puts a player in, in a bad spot, I think. You know, he didn't start blocking him out of bounds. If he'd start blocking him out of bounds, that's one thing. But um, he started blocking him in bounds, blocked to the whistle, didn't hit him after the whistle. And um, I think, you know, what what's the guy to do? Is he supposed to just stop blocking the guy once he's out of bounds and give him a chance to go run down the play from behind and make the tackle? I don't I don't, I don't know what they, what they expect there, and I, I don't necessarily agree with the call. But, uh, you know, it's it, you know it looks excessive. I think it's because he took him to the ground. I believe maybe, but I, I don't know. In in my perspective, the way I look at it, when you've got a game of that importance, you can't uh, make a call that's that impactful um, that late in the game. That's a precedent a precedent you need to set early on if you're going to uh, call the game that tight on things like that. But you know I just don't see how you take off uh, that in a game that meaningful and make a call um, like that one. No, I'm right there with you. I think that if he, uh, like you said, if he if he's driving him out of bounds, if he makes contact in out of inbounds and drives him out of bounds, that's not a penalty. I don't think that there's no way in the world that that should be a penalty unless he has him up against the wall and just holding him against the wall. I mean, I guess that could be egregious, but he's finishing the play out as he was taught. Um, you know, and a week ago we were talking about we were criticizing these receivers about not being aggressive enough. So mm-hmm. now we're being aggressive and we're, you know, criticizing for being too aggressive. So I don't, I don't realize, or I mean, I don't see how, um, how they could make a case for that. Uh, like you said, it was, it happened in the TCU game and they just let it go. And then it happens in this game. And it seems like, you know, at the moment, West Virginia's getting all the momentum to go up ahead. Uh, they just, they jerk it right out from under us. And that's not to say that I'm blaming all of it on the rest, because I will say that West Virginia have plenty of opportunities to win this Absolutely. football game on the road. Absolutely. I think but, that – I think, you know, it's um, – uh, like you said, you, you, when I want to talk about this to harp on the refs and blame the refs for the loss or, or anything like that, I just – you know, I think like they're points of discussion, points of contention that have uh, gotten a lot of uh, – you know, uh, her conversation, conversation, uh, been a lot talked about them. And so just wanted to kind of get our points on them and, and, and have a little discussion about them ourselves. But, um, you know, like you said, West Virginia still had plenty of opportunities to, uh, win this game, you know, there at the end, if the defense gets that stop on fourth down, West Virginia gets the ball back, uh, down by three with two minutes to go and got a great chance to win the game. But yeah, I, f- I definitely felt like that Simmons play was most impactful just because the fact that two plays later you get the, uh, Strip sack on Will Greer and Oklahoma returns it uh, for a touchdown and kind of uh, swung momentum and, and changed the game. And um, but you know, like you said, there was plenty of opportunities in this one for West Virginia to get the win, even even following that. So um, having said that, uh, what do you think stuck out the most to you as not necessarily the main reason for the loss, maybe, but um, you know, just 
what could have what to you could have been made the most difference in this game and maybe made it a, a West Virginia lead late rather than an Oklahoma lead late or, or something along those lines. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I, there's I think, there's a lot there's a lot you could could look at in a game that's back and forth like this. Absolutely, I, I've been saying that uh, one you could have set someone to, some uh, you could set someone up to spy Kyler Murray all night, um, but in the same token. You know, most of his runs weren't designed runs. They were scrambles. Mm-hmm. You're not really expecting it on that. That's what makes him so dynamic. Um, that's one of the main things I could point to, but I don't think that you're going to be able to, to do anything against an offensive line like they had. So, um, more so, I think that our offense, and uh, specifically talking about Will Greer, should protect the ball a little bit better. I think that throughout the, the season, we've seen him do that a couple times. I think that as good as he's been, I'm not. I'm not trying to harp on him at all. I think that he's a great quarterback. Uh, I've loved, you know, I've loved him the whole time he's been at West Virginia. But I think that is one of his downfalls is uh, protecting the ball and panicking a little bit when he gets under pressure. So I think that if he could have um, dealt with the pressure a little bit better, uh, that that maybe um, could have helped us win the football game more easily. Because like you, um, you know, you pointed out earlier, we got those two. Um, Strip sacks and return for a touchdowns. You eliminate those, we win the football games. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. You know, like you said, not trying to harp on Will Greer because you know um, played his arguably his best game as a Mountaineer in this one. uh, You know, career high in yardage and uh, whatnot. You know, I've heard a lot of people try and place the blame on him for those. Two turnovers, which they were costly, yes, but also, like I said, there's so many things in this game you can look at. And, you know, the first one, the first one I don't really fault him so much for. Basically, as soon as he got that ball, um, that, uh, I believe, was outside linebacker or safety, whichever it was, had beaten uh, Colton McKivitz. Will Greer just had to eat that, and um, guy gets lucky, punches the ball out. And I think that it was extremely lucky that Oklahoma ran both of those back because you usually don't see, um, you know, you're lucky to see one fumble return for a touchdown in a game, much less – too that's that's extremely rare so um not to harp on Greer but yes the turnovers hurt but there's also a fine line there because you know on the second turnover he was fighting to throw the ball away and you know if you remember back against Iowa State the big knock was that he was just taking these sacks not trying to throw the ball away so then now in this game he fights trying to throw the ball away turns the ball over so I mean you know you it, you can look at it either either way there but I think to me the the biggest difference in this game probably um was is points off turnovers. Uh, both teams had two turnovers. West Virginia only converted one into a touchdown. Oklahoma ran both those fumbles back for a touchdown, so that's a 14-7 to advantage on points off turnovers. And in a three-point game, to me, that makes a, a big difference, not necessarily the turnovers, but uh, what you do after the turnovers. So I think that's what kind of stuck out to me uh, the most in this one. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think, that, uh, I think the turnovers played probably the biggest – or the points off turnovers played uh, the biggest difference. Absolutely. So, um, you know, still didn't turn out the way that we liked, but uh, at least West Virginia was in the game against Oklahoma this year, uh, was right there fighting tooth and nail, and, and they never quit. There was times I thought, you know, they got down by a couple touchdowns. I thought, man, here we go again. They're going to blow us out, but uh, kept fighting back, and I think that speaks a lot to these uh, senior class and the leaders of this team and how bad they wanted it, and I think they definitely left it all out on, on the field. No, no, I, I definitely agree. I think that uh, when we got down by 14 points, I, I'm, I thought the same exact thing. I thought, uh, here we go, they're going to run us. And, you know, we didn't we didn't show any let up. We, we just showed determination and heart, and we kept fighting to win the football game. And I'm pretty sure we were up uh, just right up until that final uh, scoop and score right at the end. And uh, that was, I think, the dagger that put it in there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
Having said that, let's uh, wrap up this one with uh, players of the game. Um, offense uh, player of the game, uh, who you got? Uh, I got to go Willie G, man. 539 yards. That's, that's saying something right there, brother. Four touchdowns. He's done that quite a few times this year. Um, uh, we get to see him one more time in a West Virginia uniform. It's going to be probably uh, an even sadder day than this one, even if we do win the football game, just because he's got to play last game. <laughs> yeah, abs- go with absolutely. His last game, like uh, so much, so many throughout his career, was a classic performance by him. Uh, uh, of course, I want to go Willie G as well, but just to uh, divvy it up and uh, not pick the same, I'm going to go ahead and go uh, Gary Jennings. Seven catches, 225 yards, two touchdowns, and um, uh, was more impressed with me when I heard that he didn't practice all week and really couldn't uh, cut side to side on his routes. So that's why he didn't play as much as usual either. And most of his plays were vertical routes for that reason. And he still uh, was able to beat the defense multiple times. And so really impressive game for him in his, in his final game as well. But really all the seniors, uh, Seals, Wesco, Jennings, uh, Greer, all those guys. Hated to see just get hurt, but great performance by all those guys. And I'll, I'll give Greer, I mean, uh, Jennings my player of the game as you give Greer yours offensively. Um, defensively, who you want to uh, give your player of the game to this week? I think defensively, the only player that did show up was David Long. Uh, like I said before, I sound like a broken record picking him every week, but I feel like um, you got to give credit where it's due, man. And he's just played like a dog ever since he's been on the field of West Virginia. And so uh, if, until he has a bad game, I've got to go with David Long. Yep. Uh, I'm right there with you. Um... I was going to pick David Long as well, but, you know, I like to keep it, keep it fresh, so I'll go Kenny Robinson. <laughs> I'll go Kenny Robinson for that uh, interception on the Oklahoma's first drive of the second half, kind of gave West Virginia some momentum. I feel like kind of kept them in the game uh, going forward, brought them back in it, and then let the second half play out as a, as a good back and forth. Yeah, heck of an interception. So, uh, having said that, I guess that will wrap up our recap of Oklahoma – uh, West Virginia game, game 11 of the 2018 West Virginia football season, final regular season game. Mountaineers finish at 8-3, and 6-3 and three in the Big 12. Um, having said that, let's uh, talk some news that came out this week. So um, the big news coming out of Morgantown this week, uh, Jake Spavital, West Virginia's offensive coordinator, taking the job as the uh, Texas State head coach. Uh, Going to go coach the Texas State Bobcats. Um, big big news there. Uh, we'll get to that here in a second. Before we get to that, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, West Virginia's other coordinator, Tony Gibson. Um, he's been catching a lot of heat from a lot of people. Some people feel like it's maybe time to move on from him. They feel like the defense struggled, especially late in the season. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on the defense going forward um, into the offseason and looking ahead to next season. What changes do you need to make? Do you think there should be a coordinator change, um, scheme change? Um, what do you think needs to happen for this defense to um, maybe not only improve but be able to hold, sustain success throughout an entire season and uh, give the Mountaineers a chance to be back and play for another Big 12 championship? Um, I don't think that we need to move on from Gibby. I think Gibby's a great defensive coordinator. I think that he's done really well given what he's had at his time at West Virginia. Um, I a lot of these people than the naysayers on Gibby, I don't, I don't, honestly, I, I can see where they're coming from because, you know, down the stretch they've fallen off uh, throughout the past couple seasons. But in the same token, I mean, what have we had to work with? This year we have a relatively young defense, and I thought they were, you know, tops in the Big 12, mm-hmm. which, you know, isn't saying a lot, but, you know, it's, a, it's a, you know enough to be up there with the top people in the conference when you have an offense as potent as we, as we do, and then you have even an average defense, I guess you could say. Um, I think just 
if you give if you give Gibby um, the type of recruits to give him a little bit of depth, the where you don't have so many injuries down the uh, down the stretch of the season, then we won't be so bad down the stretch of the season. That's I think that our, our biggest downfall. We get to that point of the season into the meat of it, we start playing these bigger teams in the conference, and then you start to see players get hurt, and so you start to see these younger players come in to fill in for other younger players. And it doesn't bode well for West Virginia a lot of the time. So I think more so than the coordinator, I think that the recruiting on the defensive side of the ball uh, just needs to be a little bit better in terms of depth because uh, we have the playmakers. We've just got to we've got to get more. Uh, and I think next year we've got a lot of players coming back. Uh, we had, like I said, we had a, rel- a relatively young defense this year. We get most of them back. We get a transfer from Alabama, or uh, yeah, we get a transfer linebacker from Alabama next year. Uh, personally, I, I really do like Gibby. I think you should give him maybe another season or two before we decide uh, to move on from him. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the scheme as well, and I think uh, the three three five is a good fit for West Virginia, and it's definitely a good fit in the Big 12 because looking at it, even if you run, say, a 3-4, uh, you face these passing offenses in the Big 12, they're going to pass a lot. You're going to have to go into a dime or nickel package and bring an extra defensive back onto the field anyway and take out one of those linebackers. So you're essentially playing the same style of defense um, either way you spin it, really. And I think that the the thing about Gibson is, like you said, I think he's got uh, good uh, – he's a good defensive mind. But the three three five is built around um, – linebacker play, strong linebacker play, and, you know, of course, defensive backs. But um, when you when you got a linebacker position that's thin, like the one West Virginia had, going into the season, we knew that the position was thin. And then in the season, West Virginia suffered even more injuries than they had throughout the offseason. I mean, against Oklahoma, uh, you had one of your linebackers playing, David Long. Other than that, everyone else that played linebacker in that game wasn't even on the depth chart to begin the season. Uh, you lose six of your top seven linebackers in a defense that's built around the around the linebacker position, essentially. You're going to struggle. And, you know, that's why you see West Virginia struggles come late. A lot of those guys that had to play more than expected and play out of position, like Giovanni Stewart and uh, Zach Sandwich, guys that weren't really expected to contribute as much, um, were starters at the linebacker position late in the season. And they've had to play, you know, Dylan Tonkery has been out since after the Iowa State game. Shea Campbell's been out the past couple games. Uh, of course, you already had the injuries to Ferns and Qualls. You lost Charlie Benton. You lost Adam Hensley. Um, you know, the list goes on. So I think that um, looking ahead to next season, this defense can be just as good as it was early on in the season, if not better, when it gets some of those linebackers back. You get a guy like Vandarius Cowan, the Alabama transfer, and they're a linebacker. And, uh, you know, if David Long stays, the sky's the limit for this defense, really. So I definitely think you should give Gibby another year before you pass judgment on him. If he struggles again next year with a relatively healthy defense, then maybe we can talk. But I think that this unit looks to be um, just as good, if if not improved, next season and be able to sustain that success throughout the the entire season. So I'm still in Tony Gibson's corner uh, for the time being, for sure, right there with you. Yeah, man. And how about and how about those players that played out of position uh, most of the year, like Giovanni Stewart and Zach Sandwich? Uh, I think they played exceptionally well for being, like you said, out of position and young. Uh, both of them, I think, um, Giovanni Stewart's only a sophomore, right? Yeah, I believe so. Sophomore or junior, one of the two. He's 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 he's, he's not he's not upperclassman yet. That's 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 the thing of it. He's right. and, you know he's <laughs> extremely undersized for a linebacker, and he uh, performed well throughout the season. You know he was stepped in there from the second game on and, and was the starter at linebacker at, you know, five, 890 pounds. 
Yeah, and played exceptionally well. And then Zach Sandwich came in there, and I felt like he was one of the only players other than David Long that was not afraid to come up and smack somebody in their mouth. He just played like a dog all season long when he did get in there. And uh, I think when you see those types of players get in there on that scheme next year, it's going to be scary for offenses in the Big 12 um, if we can continue that or uh, if we can continue, yeah, continue that type of uh, level of play and uh, get some experience under those guys' belt. Exactly, and, and it, like you said, it may bode well for the future getting those guys' experience and reps, and now, you know, it, it, whether they move on to backup roles or wherever, you can trust those guys to come in and play when guys need rest or if guys go down, and you're going to be a lot deeper next year uh, and a lot more experienced because of it. So I think that uh, I think the future is bright for this defense if uh, people can just hold, hold their breath for a little bit, uh, grin and bear it, and uh, just, just let it come because uh, – Tony Gibson's going to uh, turn it around when he has a, a healthy defense. I think next year uh, we'll see the uh, fruits of that labor. So um, continuing to talk about coordinators, uh, let's talk about the big news. Mentioned it briefly earlier. Jake Spavadol takes the head job, the head coaching job rather, at Texas State, uh, leaving the offensive coordinator job at West Virginia Open. Um, regardless of your opinions on Spavadol, I know there's a lot of mixed reviews about him throughout the fan base. We've had our questions uh, about him on on the show here previously as well. Um, not overall, but situationally and uh, in-game adjustments more so than anything has been our main concern. But having said that, you got to give your hats off to a guy to advance his career and take a head coaching job. That's good no matter uh, what school it's at. you got to start somewhere, and it's good to see a guy improve his career and take on a head coaching job. But um, having said that, uh, do you think he stays and uh, calls plays for the bowl game? Do you think he's gone? Dana takes over uh, play calls for the uh, for the bowl game. Looking ahead, just at the bowl game right now, uh, what do you think is going to happen, and what's your thoughts on the move by Coach Spath? Uh, I personally, I think that he will stay coach the bowl game. Just with his personal relationship with Dana, uh, I think that he's going to want to stay coach the team. I think that his relationship with the offense uh, that he's built is is going to be pretty strong. I don't think that anybody's going to be mad at him for taking this step in his career. I think everyone's pretty happy for him. So um, I fully expect him to coach in the bowl game. If he does, not be surprised. Um, yeah, man. Uh, like you said, regardless of personal opinion, you got to be. You got to give your hats off to the guy. He's uh, he's probably gonna if he can learn to like I've said before, make adjustments a little bit better. He's gonna be a pretty uh, pretty good head ball coach. I feel like. Yeah, I think the, he's got a he's got a bright future overall, probably. Um, but I'm with you. I'd be surprised if he didn't uh, stay and call plays one more time. Like you said, a close relationship with uh, uh, Dana Holgerson, also a close relationship with uh, Will Greer. So I- I'd like to see him stay and uh, finish it out, call plays for us in the bowl game one more time. But uh, we'll see. If not, we'll see. Uh, if not, we could see Dana throw on that black shirt and call plays uh, one more time in the bowl game. And having said that, that's also a possibility. Uh, moving forward, and that's kind of what I want to talk about now, is looking ahead uh, to who West Virginia replaces Coach Spavital with. Um, there's a lot of names uh, floating out around out there. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, of course, was the first one off, but uh, I think that's a long shot, and I've also hearing that he's uh, in talks to take the USC offensive coordinator job, so that may be where he ends up. So we'll exclude him from this conversation right now. And you got other guys like Lonnie Galloway, who formerly used to be at West Virginia, um, recently has been the co-offensive coordinator at Louisville. Juwan Sider, formerly at West Virginia for two different stints, um, was the running backs coach at Florida, now is the running backs coach at Penn State. Uh, Matt Mummy, who is the offensive coordinator at Nevada. Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator at SMU. Um, Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at North Texas. Um, I've even heard the name Calvin McGee mentioned. Uh, Rich Rodriguez is old offensive coordinator. I don't know how uh, how that would fit in really, but heard that mentioned as well. And um, 
So there's a lot of uh, potential guys there. You've even heard Clint Trickett's name be floated, um, uh, coaching at Florida Atlantic University right now, coaching tight ends. But you've heard his name be mentioned as well. So um, going over some of those names, who would you like to have? Um, who do you think West Virginia ends up with? Do you think that they hire a guy that's going to come in and call the plays like Spavital again? Maybe a Graham Harrell or, or, or Rhett Lashley or Matt Mummy, somebody like that, they'll come in and call the plays again? Or do you think they'll go another route and hire uh, Jawan Sider or Lonnie Galloway for recruiting purposes and have Dana go back to calling the plays? Or Clint Trickett to just coach quarterbacks and have Dana uh, go back to calling the plays? Um, who do you want and what do you think is uh, most likely uh, to happen there? In terms of most likely, I'm not too sure. Uh, in terms of what I want, I would like to uh, – um, I think that I'm right there with you on this. I, I would like to see Graham Harrell come to West Virginia. I think the numbers that he's put up at North Texas and uh, in the offensive mind that he has, uh, I think that he'd be really, really good coach to uh, to try to coach in the Big 12, try to put those kind of, kind of numbers against those types of teams. But um, someone like Alani Galloway, I, like the, I love the way he recruits. I think that he's a hell of a recruiter. Um, I, lo- I would love for Dana to go back to calling plays. I know that I've mentioned that before, mm-hmm. but um, I don't. I don't necessarily want someone that I guess has not been. Um, even though Lonnie Galloway's a co-offensive coordinator, I don't think that West Virginia is in a position where we should hire someone who hasn't been a offensive coordinator and ran an offense by themselves and know what it takes to win those big football games. Absolutely. Uh, and Lonnie Galloway, uh, you know, he's. Um, at Louisville, and they, they didn't really have that impressive of a season this year, um, especially compared to what they had last year when they had Lamar Jackson and, and uh, that type of offense. Right. Uh, I like Clint Trickett. I don't think he's at the point of his career yet to where he's ready to coach at that type of level in the, in the Big 12. Uh, I think that his success – I think he's a great football coach and will be a great football coach, but I think that he needs time to learn under Lane Kiffin and some of these other coaches before he takes that big step. Um so, like you said, Graham Harrell, in my mind's the, the guy to do it. Uh, if they were going to go around and where Danny's going to go back to calling plays, um, I, I guess you could make a case where Lonnie Galloway can come back. Uh, Callum McGee, I don't. I've, I've heard that mentioned as well. I don't. I don't see that playing in, at all. I don't see him ever coming back to West Virginia. Um, I, I think that he's he's at the point in his career that he's more so probably going to retire in a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I, I agree with you on uh, about all those uh, um, accounts there that you mentioned. Um, it, I think to me it just comes down to if Dana's ready to uh, trust any someone else to call plays again because you know that was the big thing about bringing Spavital back was it somebody that he had, had kind of pro- been kind of hit one of his proteges that he trusted to uh, finally give up play calling duties to and to allow to call the offense because you know Spavital was here with Geno only coached quarterbacks uh, left got some experience as a play caller. And then Dana trusted him to come back and call plays. So I think that um, if you're looking for somebody to pl- call plays, it's going to be somebody that's uh, done it at the FBS level already, a guy like a Graham Harrell or, or Rhett Lashley or a uh, Matt Mummy. Uh, my favorite is Graham Harrell, just as you mentioned. I think we're in agreement on that. But then I think that if, if you see a guy come in like a Lonnie Galloway or a Jawan Sider or somebody like that, I think it's um, – purely for a recruiting advantage, and they may be offensive coordinator in name only, but I don't see them calling plays. I don't see Dana turning over the play calling to someone that's not uh, called plays and, and ran an, uh, an offense in college 
with success on his own. I don't see him turning over play calling duties until he knows for a fact that they can do that. So I think if you see a hire like that, you can expect to see Dana go back to calling the plays again. But I think if you see a guy like Graham Harrell, um, you're looking at a new play caller probably. Um, and like you said, Graham Harrell is my favorite for the position just because I feel like he's on a good track. I think he's going to end up being a head coach here in a few years, and I think that he would be a good hire. Um, great ties with Dana, um, similar style offense, and would definitely be a move up the ladder for him to become being an offensive coordinator in a Power 5 program versus where he's at now in North Texas. So that's my favorite for sure is uh, Graham Harrell is my favorite choice. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind Dana going back to calling the plays either and bringing in Sider or Galloway for recruiting purposes. So I guess that's kind of my top three is those three. But uh, Graham Harrell is by far and away my, my, my top choice at, at this at this moment in time. So um, having said that, uh, West Virginia's bowl game uh, should be released here in the coming days. Um Following this week's action in conference championship games, uh, final week of the season, the uh, college football playoff uh, field will be uh, finalized, and we'll know about bowl games. But So when we come back on for our season recap show, we'll know uh, where we're seeing stands as far as bowl game is concerned and um, can get ready for our bowl preview. But we'll have our season recap show coming before then here in a week or two. But looking ahead at these bowl games, it's looking like the Camping World Bowl in Orlando, Florida, or the Alamo Bowl in Texas for West Virginia. Um, which of those do you prefer, um, and what what matchup are you looking forward to? I know I've heard uh, Pitt be a possibility for the Camping World Bowl or Syracuse. I wish Virginia could possibly get some revenge on Syracuse. They beat them the past couple times, beat them in that pinstripe bowl back in 2012. And then, of course, the Alamo Bowl, the most intriguing matchup I've heard. Of course, you've heard the uh, possible rematch with Utah, um, rematch of last year's bowl game. But I think the most intriguing matchup to me, the one that I really want to see, is uh, West Virginia versus Washington State in the Alamo Bowl. If I had my druthers, uh, Dane Holgerson versus Mike Leach, the game alone would be entertaining. But, man, that press conference between Holgerson and Leach, that'd be uh, fun, on, fun in its own right. So, uh, talking bowl game, what's kind of your prediction or what would you like to see? Um, I, I would love to see them get the Alamo Bowl um, down in Texas just to be able to play, like you said, against the Washington State, uh, Washington State team. Who uh, who's got arguably just as good as quarterback as West Virginia and Gardner Minshew? I think that guy's been playing lights out all season. Mm-hmm. I love watching him play. Uh, I've, all, I've always loved watching Mike Leach offenses in general, but um, I think that it would be a fun game to watch between Dana Holgerson and Mike Leach. Uh, personal preference, I I wouldn't mind going to Orlando, I guess, um, and it wouldn't be bad to play a game like um, a West Virginia and Pitt game. I know a lot of fans will travel well to that game, both sides of the ball. Um, uh, but I would I would preferably have the game, uh, the Alamo Bowl, if it were against a team like Washington State. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree wholeheartedly. Um, if if it's going to be the Camping World Bowl, bowl I I hope it's against Pitt. I really don't want to play Syracuse again. Um, you know, it may be a good game, but uh, the only reason I'd want the Camping World Bowl is because it's right down here uh, near me in Orlando. Uh, gotten a chance chance to attend. I know me and you've talked about uh, possibly going, getting to go to that one together if uh, if it happens. So if that happens, that'll be the bright side of that. But um, I'm with you. The uh, Alamo Bowl against Washington State's definitely uh, my favorite matchup. That'd be a heck of a chess match between Holgerson and Leach, and just those two personalities together. And you know they're good friends as well. Would be uh, fun to see. So I'm all for that as well. But having said that. Um, I guess that pretty much wraps us up on the uh, Game 11 recap, uh, talking about some West Virginia news as well. Um, 
be sure and check us out on uh, wherever you like to take in your podcast. You can find us on about any platform now, SoundCloud, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean. Uh, wherever you like to take in your podcast, just search the Country Roads webcast. Uh, listen to us, like us, and uh, share us if you'd like, please. Uh, we always appreciate that. Um, Stephen, thanks for coming on again, as always, man. I uh, always enjoy uh, getting to do these with you and looking forward to uh, season recap show here in the coming weeks as well as bowl preview and uh, bowl recap and some off-season talk after that. But uh, appreciate it, brother. Oh, man, thanks for having me on, man. It's always a blast. Yeah, for sure, man. I couldn't, wouldn't be the same without you. But uh, having said that, this has been the Country Roads webcast brought to you by Trio 4 Productions, the official podcast of Almost Heaven Athletics and almostheavenathletics.com. Um, got the season recap show coming here in a couple weeks. Um, maybe next week, uh, whenever we can, uh, get around to it, we're going to recap this season, hand out some accolades, uh, get all that done for you guys. And uh, a lot of fun stuff still coming up from the country roads webcast. Um, any final thoughts before we close it out, Steven? Uh, I just want to say, man, it's been a fun, a fun year to watch. I know it's kind of disappointing there to end, but, uh, I think overall as West Virginia fans, I think, uh, the people that's followed this team for a long time now, uh, you gotta be, you got to be kind of excited about what direction this team's headed. And so I, I just want to say that it was a just fun team to watch uh, live and on TV all year long. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, hate that the regular season's over. I'm glad we get to watch one more West Virginia game. Season flew by. I don't know where it went, but um, I'm with you. Definitely <laughs> feel like the, uh, the future's bright in Morgantown. So. Having said that, that will wrap up the Country Roads webcast. Give us a follow on Twitter if you'd like. You can do that by searching our Twitter handle at WVU Country Roads. For Stephen Vestal, I'm Jordan Cruz, and until next time, let's go Mountaineers.